sixth grade or younger, there's service downstairs for you. I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1. Thank you, Carissa. If you don't have one of the study guides, why don't you raise your hand so we can put one in your hand because I'm referring to a lot of the scriptures in there and you'll want to do that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning and consider what you have to say to us, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Give us hearts to understand. And Lord, I pray that because we have been here this morning in your presence, that you will change us, that we will be transformed. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you to look with me in verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love. From a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make. Confident assertion. The goal of our instruction is love. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, two different errors that we make, two potential errors. Uh, drifts or trends that sometimes occurs around the subject of biblical teaching. And in the course of that, Paul says in this verse, the goal of our instruction is love. Now, there's, there's two things that I am observing in the church today. Not just our local church, but in the church in general. One of those things that I see happening in our country is that there is a drift away from sound doctrine, from biblical teaching. Uh, the, The more, and particularly when I see this, I'm sitting on the licensing committee of our district, and we have young men and young women come before us who want to invest their lives in full time Christian ministry, and they come before us to be credentialed. We examine them, we examine their lifestyle, we examine their spiritual disciplines and habits. We talk to them, uh, you know, about their call and their commitment. And then we talk to them about their their knowledge of basic biblical doctrine. I was talking with our district superintendent this past Friday on the phone, and we were talking about our process. And 
He said, we need to get the licensing committee together. We have two subcommittees, one in Indiana, one in Illinois, but together we comprise the whole. He said, we need to get together and we need to, to have like an overnight uh, afternoon and morning retreat meeting and talk about our process. And in the course of that, we need to decide what does a person need to know in order to get a license, which is our way of saying you have permission and, and you have our backing to accept a position as a pastor, associate pastor, missionary candidate or whatever, and you can begin ministry while we observe your life and your calling and so forth over the next couple of years. What does a person have to know to, to have that license to get started? Now, why am I bothering you with all of this? Well, I'm setting the stage for something. Most of you are not going to be applying for that license, so you don't have to worry about it. But my comment to John was, they need to know everything. <laughs> when they show up, they need to know the whole body of basic biblical doctrine. They need to know the Bible. They need to know all the books of the Old Testament, all the books of the New Testament. They need to know who wrote them, when they wrote them, what they're about. They, they need to be able to find in their Bibles verses that support everything they tell us they believe. They need to know that without having to look it up. It should be on the top of their head. And they should be able to talk about the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrines of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the church and angels and demons and last things and things to come and the doctrines of hell and the doctrine of heaven. And they ought to be able to talk about all of those things with comfort. They should know those things. Can I go a step further and say you should know those things? As followers of Jesus Christ, you should know those things. But if we're going to put a person in a responsible position of teaching God's people what you all should know, they must know them. They ought to be able to walk in the door and, and explain all of those things off the top of their head without any notes, without any reference to anything, it should be a part of their life. They've spent seven years in school, for crying out loud, learning this stuff. They ought to know it. And what I find is they don't. They don't understand the basic teachings of the Scripture. They can't support their personal beliefs with Bible verses. They can't find some things in the Bible. They get lost occasionally when they try to look. And, and I think to myself, my goodness, they're going to go out and be teachers. And they don't have a foundation of the Scripture. And how can they teach? Because, friends... The sound doctrine of the Scripture is something that every believer should know. Why is it important? Why is it important that you know, for example, what the Bible teaches about the person and work and nature of God? Why should you know that? Because if you don't know that, you're going to fill in the blanks with your own ideas. You're going to have in your mind 
an image or an understanding of God that you think is correct. And if it didn't come from the Scripture because you don't know the Scriptures, you're going to be worshiping an idol. And if you take that to the fullest extent of the, of the word, idolaters do not have a place in heaven. Wouldn't it be sad for someone to go their whole life attending church and come to the end of the journey of their life and realize that they had been worshiping an idol and they had adopted a false salvation? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? And so... Paul says the goal of our instruction, there is teaching that has to occur in the course of growing up in Jesus Christ. And you and I need that teaching. And you need to be educated in the Scriptures. You need to know sound doctrine. If you look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4 for just a moment... Um, this whole chapter is, is a very important chapter in Paul's encouragement to Timothy, but it's also important because it talks about what will be happening to the church toward the ends of time. And he says, the Spirit says explicitly that in the latter time, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. By the way, how many of you had a booklet on your car windshield last week when you left church? Isn't that amazing? Many of you had a booklet left out there, Why You Should Be a Catholic. Why the Catholics are the only true church. Something to that effect. Someone gave me a copy of that booklet. I'm, I'm going to be looking at it. Not that I necessarily need to be educated about its contents, but I want to know what you got. <laughs> and I, I'm kind of interested to see what was put out there. But, you know, I was thinking about that this morning as I was looking at this passage of Scripture. Those are doctrines of demons. You know, I, I realize this is on tape and somebody may be pounding on my door, but let me tell you something. The Catholic Church is weird. It's, it's off base. It's, it's not biblical. And, and the whole concept that you're more spiritual if you marry the church and become a priest or a nun and marry the church and stay celibate all your life, men who forbid marriage and advocate, this is doctrines of demons. This is false teaching. Paul says this is going to be a part of the deception of the latter days. I hope you uh, had the good sense to either throw that away or to compare it with the Scriptures in context and read it carefully because the Bible will not support what was written in that booklet if you read the Bible with a proper understanding. It's not going to support it. For everything, he says, verse 4, created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of truth. That's what I just did, by the way. I pointed out these things to the brethren. And But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Please don't take offense if you're in that category. On the other hand... 
Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, because it holds a promise for this life and also for the one to come. You can have a really buff body, friends, but one day it's going to die. But you need a buff spirit to go with it. And he says, no, no, he didn't say it had no profit. Aren't you glad, Brian? Uh, it, it, it has some profit and some value, but it only lasts a lifetime. But disciplining your spirit and your soul lasts forever. And he says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving, uh, deserving full acceptance. It is this we labor and strive because we've fixed our hope on the living God, who's the Savior of all men, especially believers, prescribe and teach these things. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to teach this stuff. You've got to proclaim this stuff. You've got to make it your focus. And notice what he says as you go on down to verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Terry's been doing that with, with, our, with our youth, reading, just reading the Bible. And it's amazing what comes out when you just read the Bible, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. That's also what I'm doing right now, by the way. To exhortation and to teaching, to doctrine. And he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift that is in you, which was given you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands. Take pains with these things, be absorbed with them, so your progress can be evident to all. Many other verses on teaching that the Scripture says you need to give attention to teaching. We need to give attention to doctrine. One of the dangers that we face in our culture today is that people want to migrate toward things that help them feel good. They want to have experiences without necessarily delving into the underlying beliefs, doctrines, convictions that, that are the foundation of those experiences. People in the church, people outside of the church. People outside of the church have belief systems. They may not know what they are. They may not be able to systematize them or talk about them. But there are certain things they believe are going to satisfy them and they pursue those things. And we have the truth of the Scripture that gives us the foundation for thinking rightly. For thinking correctly. And Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. There is training, there is education, there is teaching that is essential. And if people do not love the Word of God and love the teaching of the Word of God, they put themselves at risk for being Led astray. But notice, going back to our key verse, 1 Timothy 1.5, that it is not simply instruction, but Paul says the goal of our instruction. Instruction is, is the, the fabric, the warp and the woof of what he's getting at. The instruction is the foundation, but it is not the end. It's not the goal. It's a means to a goal. And he says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere 
faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. Wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. I remember years ago, I was a freshman in college, I was in West Palm Beach, and I went to a denominational school, it was a Southern Baptist school, and I went there because I, I really thought that was going to be the place to be, and it was all exciting, it was a new school, they were just going to graduate their first graduating class the year that I was a freshman, and, and I was all excited about that, and I got to the school there, and I found out that all that glitters is not gold. In fact, I discovered that most of the professors in the school that were Bible professors were liberal. And when I say liberal, I mean uh, one of them didn't think the virgin birth was important. Uh, An Old Testament professor did not believe the miracles really occurred. They were not miracles at all. They were natural things that could easily be explained away. The Red Sea became the Sea of Reeds and uh, many, many other things. And, And he actually... Uh, said in class, if you think that a donkey could actually ever talk to anybody, you're a bigger ass than he is. And so he basically denied the, the miracles and teaching of the Scripture. And so I found myself in a, in a dilemma. I was in a school where I was getting bad teaching, and I was having to spend a lot of time outside of class reading and studying good material, in order to counteract the bad, because I knew they were wrong, but I didn't always know why they were wrong. I had to go search that out. And in the process of doing that, I got involved in a Bible study with a professor who had been at the school, but had left in protest over their their liberalism. And he uh, had a, a doctoral degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was teaching a course in the doctrine of last things. Everybody in the early 70s, was interested in the second coming of Christ. It was the big thing. You know, when the late great planet Earth was being published and all these books on eschatology, and everybody was trying to figure out what those creatures were going to be in the book of Revelation, and they were trying to imagine if they were Russian tanks or MiGs or, you know, and and, and it it was just one of those interesting times. And so I was going to this Bible study all about eschatology, and we had all these you know, diagrams on the board, and the professor was explaining all the details. He had actually written his Ph.D. thesis on the rapture of the church and the doctrine of last things, and that was his, that was his forte. And here's this classroom of people who were getting educated. <clears throat> but I realized that they had no love in their hearts. They were missing something vital. And in the midst of all of this Good teaching. They were wrangling about words and arguing over details and dissing the guys in the college and basically had bitter, arrogant attitudes. And I recognized it. Even then, I recognized something was missing Because they had a lot of education, but they were missing love. And because of it, Jesus was not being reflected in their lives. And so the two extremes that are at risk in this verse, as Paul speaks of it, is 
One of them is that we will be a people who are not well grounded in truth and hence susceptible to deception and all kinds of error, which will ultimately wreck our lives. It's not just what you think, okay, I got this opinion, you got that. What you think if affects what you do, and what you do in terms of your choices affects the course of your life and determines your outcome. And you may have a bad outcome because you have wrong beliefs. It's vital to believe the right thing. But it is also vital that we don't commit the second error. And that is that we become a people who are merely puffed up in knowledge. Because as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 8.1, the supporting text, notice that one. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant. Just take that phrase and isolate it. Knowledge makes arrogant. I have never preached a sermon on this, I don't think, from this perspective. But if you go back to the Garden of Eden, there were two trees in the garden. Do you know what they were? There was the tree of life. And what was the other one? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the, the, the main description was it was a tree of knowledge. The tree of life represented a life that was lived in dependence upon God, in vital union with Him. The tree of knowledge represented independence. I know, therefore I can make up my own mind. I know, therefore I don't need God to tell me. I know, therefore, I have wisdom. I can be independent. I have knowledge. It is not an accident that it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all through the Scriptures, we have warnings about knowledge in and of itself. And when it stands alone, apart from the grace and the humility that God brings, knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. Now, I've been talking about the church globally in the West, but I want to talk about our church for just a moment. Because if there's one of these two errors we're more prone to fall into, it's this second one. Most people who attend this church, and you this morning, you love to study the Scriptures. You love to understand the Bible. You've demonstrated that because you've put up with me for nearly 25 years. And you have an interest in the Word of God. You love to study the Scriptures. But I want you to understand this morning that if all you gain over time is increased knowledge the result is going to be arrogance. A pride that comes with being puffed up over how much I know about God. 
When in fact, if all you know about God is what you know about God up here, then you really haven't even begun. Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, the reverence of God, the awareness that God is so much bigger and vast and beyond me that I will always be a babe in the woods. I will always be a child in my understanding when it comes to the glory of God. And people who think they know are already in trouble because knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. It's interesting in Galatians 5, Paul is talking about a subject. He's talking about the issue of circumcision. And there is a fight going on in the church. Two sides. Converted Jews, those who are now believing in their Messiah, are steeped in their religious tradition. And they are fighting over the conviction they have that you must be circumcised to be a Christian. They're reacting to Gentiles who have no Jewish history, no Jewish tradition, and they are coming into the church through salvation, and the Jews are saying, Jesus is our Messiah. He came from our heritage. He arose out of the Jewish nation. He was predicted and prophesied about in the Old Testament Scriptures Jesus is Jewish, and if you want to be a Christ follower, you've also got to be Jewish. So when you come into the church, you have to be circumcised. And then the Gentiles were saying, we don't know anything about your Judaism or your crazy weirdness, but what we know is we've met Jesus and we have new life. And so they were feuding over that. And, and there were some people there that were very persuasive in their Bible knowledge. And there were others who were very persuasive in their newfound liberty, and they were butting heads. And this is what Paul says, Galatians 5.1, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I want you to recognize something. Do you know what I mean when I say the Bible presents propositional truth, truth in a propositional fashion? The Bible makes statements that are true. They are objectively true. They're not opinions. They're not something you can take into the laboratory and test and say, well, is this 80% true or 50% true? The Bible makes statements that are objectively black and white true. I'm saying that because in every theological debate, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. In every argument over the Scriptures, which is the same thing as a theological debate, in every argument over the Scriptures, one of two things is true. Actually, one of three things. There's only one person right, or nobody's right. Two people cannot believe different things 
under the Scriptures and be right. Okay? You cannot have a pre-tribulation rapture and a mid-tribulation rapture and a post-tribulation rapture. Only one of them is right. Or none of them. You cannot be eternally secure and believe with Arminians that you could lose your salvation if you send it away. Only one of those viewpoints can be right. They cannot both be true. There's only one right answer. Or they're both wrong. God is either a trinity or He is a unity. You cannot be a one-way Jesus group and be right if the Trinitarians are right. You, You cannot have that. So, what I'm saying is, in any biblical argument, there's only one right answer. There are not two. There is only one. And you either have it or you don't. And that's this issue in this question of circumcision. There is a right answer. And the answer is, you do not need to be circumcised. That is the answer. That is the right answer. But notice what Paul says. I testify again to every man, verse 3, who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It means nothing but faith working through love. Now there's a right answer. But what Paul is saying is, I'm concerned about how you're treating each other as well. And what really is important here among the right answer. And Paul is fighting for freedom. I mean, he's, he's very clear about it. Let those who think you've got to follow the law be accursed and anathema because they've departed from the grace of God. But he says, I am very concerned about faith working through love. Because if you can't love each other, being right has no meaning. Why should it concern you? Why should it concern me if a person is is locked in the bondage of legalism? Do I want to prove to them that I'm right and they're wrong? Or does it break my heart that they're missing the full freedom of Jesus Christ and and the wonderful experience of walking by the Spirit in the holiness that He brings through His daily moment-by-moment leadership and power? Why am I motivated to fuss with them? Do I want to win the argument? Or do I want them to know my Jesus the way I've come to know Him? And if anything motivates you besides love, you need to back out of the argument. You're wrong, even if you're right. Because faith working through love is crucial to the whole point. And 1 Corinthians 13, 2 
Paul makes this point. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith. Now, I just want to stop there a moment and ask you, wouldn't you like to have a Bible teacher that had that description? That they could put that in their resume. I have the gift of prophecy. That means I can tell you what God's saying. I have the gift of prophecy. Furthermore, I, I, I understand all mysteries. And I have all knowledge. And I have all faith. How many of you would call that guy to be your pastor? Just on those credentials. Man, I got it down. I, I know everything. I have all the mysteries figured out. I got all kind of faith. And, and what's more, I can put it across. I have the gift of prophecy. Paul says, you find a guy like that, and he doesn't have love. He is a zero. He is nothing. He is nothing. He has nothing to offer. Nothing to give you. In fact, where is he going to take you? Arrogance. He's only going to make you arrogant and proud and further away from Christ. In other words, knowledge itself, apart from the grace and the love of God, is a dangerous thing that will pull you away from intimate union with Jesus and with one another. And friends, if our church is at risk of of the two extremes, no knowledge or knowledge without love, our danger lies that we may become educated people because we love the Bible, that we may be educated but lack loving commitment to one another. Lack the tenderness, lack the humility, lack the compassion that cements us together in the bond of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.8, Paul says this, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, I, I've been thinking about the Apostle Paul lately, and I've read, been reading verses like this. I don't know about you, but they've kind of been giving me pause. And the reason they have is because my image of Paul, shaped by all the things I've read and heard and learned over the years, my image of Paul is that he was this relatively short little guy, with a bald head and squinty eyes because he had eye trouble, and, and a type A personality, a, a, a go-get-em-driven entrepreneur that basically, I don't have time for John Mark. He's not committed, man. I'm going for the goal. Yeah, don't take this man on our trip. I've got a perspective. I've got a goal. I'm headed places. And my image of Paul, you know, has been <clears throat> one of those guys that would be hard to get really close to. Maybe you think I'm that way. I don't know. (laughs) That people tell me through the years, I'm aloof and hard to get close to. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. But, when he says, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have an image of John at the Last Supper leaning over against Jesus. And the intimacy, purity, by the way, people have read all kinds of strange stuff into that. 
pure, holy love for the Master. And Jesus allowing it. Because he says, no man loves you like I've loved you. And here's Paul saying, I I long for you with the affection. Affection to me is a tender, tender word. I I want to embrace you. I, I want to put my arms around you. I want to encourage you. I have affection for you. I like you. And he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. You see, when you really know, you're full of love. When you really know, when you really have a handle on who God is and who you are, you cannot help but be full of love. Because if you've seen that reality and the contrast and the love of God in the midst of your depravity and the marvelous miracle of grace, and I wake up every morning to the awareness that God loves me. That is just Utterly amazing. It's utterly amazing. God loves me. And he says, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. Let me, let me tell you a short story. While we were in Florida, my father-in-law, Warren Thompson, asked me if I would attend his Sunday school men's breakfast with him. That once a quarter they get together for breakfast at Buddy Freddy's. That's a... Southern-style smorgasbord for breakfast, Buddy Freddy's. And, man, did they have everything on that smorgasbord. You could even get fried chicken for breakfast. But uh, they had everything. And so we went to Buddy Freddy's, and uh, there were nine guys around the table, plus me, and they had invited one of the staff members. I think he may have been the senior seniors pastor. I'm not sure who it was, but one of the staff members from the church. And we were uh, we were all together around the table. There were nine of, of them. And my father-in-law told me when we were away from the group, he said, 12 years ago I joined the Sunday school class, and there were 30 of us. He said, there's only nine left. The other 21 have been promoted to glory. In fact, They joked about it at the table that the only way to get out of their class was to die. And no one wanted to join their class because everyone that joined their class died. The median age was 90. The men ranged from about 83 or 4 to about 96. They had been together for 12 years. They had buried 21 of their buddies. Now, I want to tell you something about these guys. This is a men's group. They are not ushy-gushy, okay? These are World War II veterans. My father-in-law was a Marine on the USS Missouri, and he was no wimp. And these are not the kind of people that fall all over you and hug you and all this kind of stuff. But what I noticed was my father-in-law had been out for two weeks from Sunday because he had not been feeling well one week and then we were all there. And so 
he had gotten two or three phone calls from his Sunday school class already. Warren, you okay? And then when he showed up at the breakfast, Warren, how you doing? We've been missing you. And then as they met together and talked, you could sense the love they had for each other. One of the guys that had taught the class for ten years had finally gone legally blind. He could no longer prepare the lessons. And yet he continued to, to, to lead the class. And he lost his driver's license because he could no longer see. And one of the other fellows in the class drove him around every week to visit the members of the class and make sure they were okay. I mean, this is amazing. These guys love each other. They watch out for each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. They joke about their arthritis. They laugh about being blind. They kid each other about who's going to heaven next. They're not frivolous about life. But they've learned to see each other successfully along the journey. And I was impressed by how much they obviously loved each other. And how they cared for one another. And that's exactly what Paul is praying here. That your love will abound still more and more. That all along our affection for one another will grow more uh, intimate and close and deep. In Colossians 3, Paul reminds us, verse 14. I want to read verse 12. Let's start at verse 12. That's what I printed down there. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion. Did I read this? Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. You know, another way to say it is putting up with each other. You know why? Because sometimes we're ornery. Sometimes we're just hard to put up with. Sometimes we frustrate each other. There is not a relationship on the planet that doesn't go hot and cold, that doesn't have times of fervency and times of less fervency. There we get on one another's nerves from time to time. It's just going to happen. But the difference is we have a commitment to one another in Jesus Christ. And it says that we bear with one another, forgiving each other, who has, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Ever go home murmuring and mumbling, and you're just frustrated. All right, get over it. Get fixed. Because just as the Lord forgave you, have you ever taken a good look at you? Good grief. You know, sometimes I think about myself, and I'm strange. And, 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 and I realize I have quirks and mannerisms that have got to drive people nuts. And, and I forget things, and I, I do dumb things, and, you know, but God loves me, and He has forgiven me, not only for my sins, but He's overlooked all my dumbness. He just loves me. 
In Christ, I am totally accepted. And, and you know, the reality is, the older we get, I don't mean to be discouraging here this morning, but let me, let me let you in on something. Some things are just on the hard drive, okay? You're just wired that way. And, and, and if you're 50 years old or older, they probably aren't going to change. I'm not talking about sins. If you're sinning, if you've got a short fuse and you blast off with people, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to make you right in that area. You need to get fixed. You've got a problem. But if you put the toilet paper on with the paper coming off the bottom instead of the right way, if, <laughs> if you do that and you've been doing that for 30 years, it ain't going to change. You know, it's just not going to happen. And because nobody thinks about it, they just put it on. If they put it on at all, they just put it on however comes naturally. And that's not going to change. If you squeeze a toothpaste tube in the middle and you've been doing that for 40 years and it all gets stuck at the bottom, you know, every once in a while I take the comb and go over the toothpaste tube and get it all back to the front again so it comes out the nozzle. That's just going to happen. It's not going to change. I'm being facetious about silly things, but there's a lot of stuff that's just you. But friends, that's not important stuff. Relationships are far more important. We had a good laugh last night as uh, Rowena was fixing dinner. She was fixing a pot roast. I happen to like onions. I like stewed onions with the roast. And so I, I said to her, could you put in a couple extra onions? And John was in the kitchen, and he said, I don't like onions. She was going to put in one onion, I wanted three, and John wanted none. So now we have a problem. And so, uh, guess how many we put in the pot roast? One. <laughs> who, who won? <laughs> no. That's immaterial. The, the point is, and, and then, we were, <clears throat> then we were laughing about it. I won't tell you what we said, but we were laughing about it. And uh, we sat down a little later and enjoyed our dinner together because at least John and I chose to yield. <laughs> Rowena was already in the middle, so it worked out for her just fine. But, but we chose not to make an issue of that. Some people ruin their meals because they didn't get their way. Some people ruin their relationships over onions and toothpaste. Some people ruin their church because they don't get their way. And friends, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's, it's, it's silly. Yeah, it's silly. Uh, Todd, it is a lot like uh, keeping the nursery. Above all, keep fervent in, in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I love you. I am willing to overlook a great deal in your life because I know this, if I love you and I'm praying for you and you love the Lord, He's going to deal with you. 
Some things I think you ought to fix, God may not think need fixing. And I've also learned that God does a much better job of getting the point across than I do. That doesn't mean I need to pull punches or confront when there's obvious sinful misbehavior that needs confrontation. But so much of the time, friends, if we just loved each other and prayed for each other, we would move through these things. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. This is from Hebrews. Do you hear the doctrine? Hold fast the confession of your hope. He's not saying throw away teaching. You've got to have the teaching. Hold fast the confession. You've got to be on target with truth without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together. We need to come together, and one of the reasons is so we can consider how to motivate each other to love each other. The mark of the Christian. I didn't say it, Jesus did. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, by how you love each other. I want to encourage you today, friends. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Don't just be students of the Word. You ought to be that. But love each other from the heart. Because the goal, the purpose, is not just to inform the mind, but through the mind to change the life that we will look like Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is there not to tantalize us with interesting information about unseen things. The Word of God is there to convict our hearts, to tell us what God is like, to tell us what we're like, and to offer us the hope that is in Christ, that we can grow in the character and likeness of Him who loved us and died for us. Father, I pray this morning that you will open our hearts not just to be hearers of the Word, but to be doers, to be changed by your power and by your goodness. I want to ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Carrie, brother, I'd like you to...